Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the LDS Mission Cast. This is Nick Galetti and on this episode we have some great interviews for you. First off, the music for this episode comes from LDS musician April Maservi. This is a version of the song With or Without You, originally by U2. This song became world famous these last two weeks because it was used by the Olympic figure skating team from Canada. They won a gold medal and a bronze medal, and this was the song they performed to. So thank you to April Maservi for letting us use this music and all the rest that you hear on this episode. Visit her on Facebook to see some of the excitement from that experience. Our first interview is a two-part episode. Well, sort of. I interviewed Dr. Taylor Halverson, who is a teaching and learning consultant at BYU. In other words, he helps teach the BYU professors to be better teachers. So he offers some much needed advice to all gospel teachers, but especially missionaries, because in this first part, we discuss the do's and don'ts of teaching the gospel using metaphor or analogy. In the second part, which we'll put out next week, we offer an approach that Taylor calls talking is not teaching. It's a complete reframing of the approach to teaching the gospel that mirrors much of what's being rolled out in the Sunday schools and in priesthood and relief society with the come follow me style of gospel learning. So this episode is one you're gonna wanna listen to a number of times to make sure that you have these things ingrained in your approach to teaching the gospel. But part two, like I said, will be on next week's episode, so stay tuned for that. But following our part one interview with Dr. Taylor Halverson, we have Sean Rapier from the Latter-day Lives podcast, where he interviews TV news reporter Mike Anderson about a fun mission story from his mission to England. Mike can be seen almost every night of the week on the NBC affiliate here in Salt Lake City, KSL. He's got an inspiring story that helps us see how no service in the work of the Lord is wasted. But before those things, we have a couple of items of missionary news that we wanted to get to. First, you may have seen this posted on our Facebook page, but there are some injuries to missionaries that happened in a truck crash in Spain. Four missionaries uh, that were serving in the Malaga mission were, were injured in a crash on February 26th. They were riding in the car of, I guess, one of their investigators. And so there were four missionaries, an elder Caden Randall, from Kaysville, Utah, uh, Elder Hunter Bushman from Farmington, Utah. They both had minor injuries. Not entirely sure what that means, but sounds like they were released pretty close to uh, getting into the hospital. And then there's Elder Mason Heininger. I think I'm saying that right. He's from Cardston, Canada, and an Elder Gabriel Ernesto Olmo uh, from Puerto Rico. They were more seriously injured and needed surgery. We actually had some people comment on our Facebook post that they knew Elder uh, Olmo, and we're kind of praising him. And it doesn't help the story much, but, you know, these are missionaries that got injured, and we should look to offering our prayers for them and their families, who were probably a little nervous about the whole thing. Um, the other story is a little more upbeat, I should say. There's a sequel that has been announced to the movie that came out a while back called The Other Side of Heaven. That movie, if you remember, was one that starred Christopher Gorham, and he uh, played Elder John H. Groberg, 
who went on to become a general authority, but it was based on the book that he wrote, that Elder Groberg wrote about his first missionary experience in the Pacific Islands, and it was recently announced by the director, uh, Mitch Davis, that The Other Side of Heaven, part two, if you will, is coming out. I believe the book that it was based on is called Fire Faith, but it was uh, it's the story of John Groberg as he goes back as a mission president years later and with some of his kids in the real story. We'll see what happens with the film adaptation of it. But uh, Elder Groberg is still alive. He's an emeritus general authority now. But uh, it's his story as a mission president going back to the same islands where he served and was honored and revered and remembered by the people. So make sure to keep your movie radars out for that one, and we'll see if we can't do some giveaways for that when when it comes out. So that's some of the latest missionary-related news. So here we go. Let's get started uh, with our interview with Taylor Halverson on metaphors and analogies in teaching the gospel. When you try your best but don't succeed When you get what you want but not what you need When you feel so tired but you can't sleep Our guest on this episode of the LDS Mission Cast is Taylor Halverson. Taylor Halverson is a teaching and learning consultant at BYU and meaning he uses his numerous bachelor's, master's, and PhDs to teach the teachers to help them best apply their years of research and study into meaningful curriculum. So when he isn't doing LDS tours of the Middle East or writing articles for the Mormon Interpreter Foundation or Deseret News or putting together the Virtual Scriptures Project or being on the board of Book of Mormon Central, he's making time for us. So thank you, uh, Taylor, for coming in and, and making time to be on the LDS Mission Cast. It's always great to hang out with you, Nick. Yeah, thanks for being in. I know we've interviewed a couple times in other platforms, but this one's going to be interesting because one of the purposes of our podcast is to provide resources that will help those who share or teach the gospel to do mo- do so more effectively. So it's really a treat to have you here because you obviously, again, you teach the teachers. So, But today we're going to be talking about a problem that I had when I was on my mission, and I know I've seen this happen in missionaries today. And that is teaching with analogy and metaphor, something we do all the time. Why do we do it? I mean, is there a reason why we seem to go to analogy and metaphor? Because it works. It can work. Well, yes. Sometimes it actually fails. But the reason we do it is that it has worked for so long, and humans love stories. Lots of scientific research that people learn best from stories. Very interesting. People don't get convinced by data. They get convinced by stories. Now, if you embed data and facts in stories, well, then that's even, even better. better. Yeah. And the way the brain operates is that when you are learning a new concept, the way the brain makes sense of something new is by associating it with something it already knows. Something familiar. Right. And so in order for metaphors and analogies to be successful— They have to be close to the reality you're trying to represent, but not so different from somebody's experience that they can't make sense of the analogy. And we use analogies because without them, something new is hard to grasp and understand. We can't understand new things without experience. 
And analogy allows us to open up our bank of experience. We all have lots of life experiences. And so when somebody brings you a metaphor and analogy, you're suddenly able to say, oh, there's this new idea they're trying to present to me. Oh, it relates to these 15 other things I already know about. And now I can see how that new concept fits in with what I already know. And now I can make use of it. Yeah. And this is something that we see in the scriptures quite a bit. I mean, Christ, when he taught, used it. Others have used analogy and metaphor. What are some of the ones that maybe stand out to you the most as far as a historical good example of a metaphor or analogy? Yeah, so some principles, again, of analogy are the best analogies are simple, relevant, and they relate to the experiences of the audience. Not of the person giving it. Right. Now, the person giving it has to have enough experience that they can create an analogy that makes sense to the audience. But if I come up with an analogy from my life experience, say I went on a, on a mission to Chile and I used something out of the Spanish language. And if somebody has never studied Spanish and I use a Spanish language analogy, it won't make any sense to my audience. So you just have to know your audience. And this yeah. is how Jesus was the master teacher, is that he took the time to know his audience. His analogies, some of them are just very powerful. In fact, the challenge we now face in the modern day is that we're not a bunch of poor Galileans. We're not farmers and sheep herders. And, right. Yeah. Illiterate people. Most of us are, are literate. We have lots of other life experiences. And so when we read the scriptures, the analogies that Jesus used now have to sometimes be explained to us. But in Jesus' day, these were just very powerful teaching. Uh, his analogies were very powerful. Let me share one. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. And we've all read this enough. We have a general sense. Yeah, salt is really useful. But salt in our day, it's just, it's a commodity. It's so simple. We have it sitting in our shelves. And I mean, I throw it in my driveway without thinking about it. When Restaurant table, it's free. Right. It's Yeah, you're nailing it. It's free. I throw it in my driveway without thinking about it. It doesn't cost me anything. But anciently, salt was highly prized and actually kind of expensive. Have you ever heard the word salary? Yeah. That comes from the Latin word sal, which means salt. Roman soldiers often were paid in salt for their services. Interesting. So their sal, salt, their salary was salt. So it was get, that valuable. Right. So our word salary today comes from the ancient idea that you're getting paid in something that's really valuable. But okay, so why was salt valuable? And again, what I'm doing here is giving background to the ancient world where this analogy made a lot of sense back then, but now we have to explain it. It's an analogy that I may not use because we don't live in a society where salt is understood in the same ways. Right. I'm not going to pay you a salt. You would not be very happy with that. (laughs) Okay. Salt was hard to extract. You either had to mine it or you had to let salt water evaporate. And all those just take time, but it's extremely valuable because food can be really bland. How many of us love French fries or salt on eggs or you name anything you love to put salt on? Again, it's so easily accessible. We don't even think about how much salt we put on stuff. But anciently, getting access to salt was uh, not easy. And so if you had it, boy, you were worth your salt. I mean, you've heard that phrase. You're right, yeah. Well, where does that come from? If you're like, again, this Roman soldier getting paid in salt, well, you earned it. You were worth your salt. That's where that phrase comes from. But it's this powerful thing where also meat, they didn't have refrigeration. Right. If you want to have meat, 
out of season, uh, you'd have to preserve it in some ways. And so, you, you know, beef jerky and, and salting and drying. Sure. And so salt was essential if you wanted to have access to those kinds of, to meat. So how does that change this analogy then? If, if we were to say, look at this, what would be a modern day version perhaps? So, you know, it's kind of funny you bring that up and immediately I'm so familiar with this particular analogy. And because as church members, we've been taught enough, we actually understand inherently what it means that if I brought up a different analogy to teach this principle, it actually might confuse people. Okay. Isn't that ironic? It, it is. So even though I had to give you some contextual background that was very enlightening to you, I didn't have to give that to you, but you actually already understood the purpose of this analogy that Jesus used because we've shared it enough. But it's funny, the other analogies I want to come up with are ones that we use in the church that came from Jesus. Like he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is head on, set on the hill cannot be hid. Well, we all get that, even though most of us have never been to the Galilee which again is surrounded by these tall mountains that had villages on top. And even today, if you go there at night, you can see these villages with the lights at the top of the villages. It's just impossible to hide them. And really the point here is Jesus is trying to say, we all know what the principle is, be true to the gospel. Demonstrate by your life, your words, your actions, what it means to follow me. Let's go back and let's dissect these. What works for these analogies is that they were something that was, were in front of them. Right. The people could reference what they were talking about. You can see a city on top of a hill that was well lit because everything else was dark and it stands out. And so that comparison makes sense. Even if we haven't seen Galilee, which actually would give more context to it, but we can kind of get the basic concept of it. Right. So in that sense, it's relatable and we can understand it. And anciently, it was extremely relatable because... Everybody knew exactly what he was talking about. Everybody understood the value of salt. Everybody understood, oh, yeah, he's talking about all these villages up on top of the mountains that we've all seen. We've right. all talked about this in our lives, about how cool it is to see those villages up there. But today we might say things like, you know, be a blockbuster. And because we all know that blockbuster movies are the famous ones that everybody's talking about. And yet that's not a great analogy because do we really want to be like movie stars? Is that really what we're trying to be? Right. And so this is the problem with analogies and metaphors is that you might come up with something that sounds really snazzy, but if you start digging into it, it becomes a really bad metaphor. Right. What if I tell youth of my church, I want you to be like a blockbuster movie. Everyone knows you and they're all talking about you. Well, okay, maybe it's a good thing that everyone's talking about us and really likes to follow our every move. Maybe I'm a good example that way, but I don't know. People Magazine is not the first thing I want my youth to model their lives after. Right. So it's actually, it's a bad analogy. Or even... If I start thinking about analogies that might work about getting to be, you don't want to hide your light. So I'm going to post everything good about myself on Facebook. Well, we could make an analogy about that, but there's some problems because Facebook is... It's a false front like Elder Ruchdorf talked about. Exactly. And so in some ways, um, as, I'm, even, as I'm thinking about it, the message Jesus is trying to get across here, which I think we inherently understand, his analogies may work better because they don't carry the negative baggage that some of the analogies that we came up with. So again, a principle of analogies, you have to think through what's going to make sense to your audience. But you also want to consider what are takeaways they may come up with from my analogy that may distract from my core message. Right. Is there anything negative that they might pull out of the analogy that is the opposite of what I'm intending? And so the best analogies aren't done on the fly, as I've been trying to do here. 
They just aren't. Because the best teachers don't just show up unprepared. The very best teachers, I spend my my day job is helping professors be great teachers, and we have great teachers at BYU. But the more prepared you are, the more capable you are to reach your audience. And so if you've taken time in advance to think through, here's the principles I'm trying to teach to this audience. Here's what I know about my audience. All right, let's think about these couple of analogies or metaphors, and then maybe even finding somebody in that target audience and asking them in advance, how does this analogy sound? How does this metaphor work? And even do a little bit of background work yeah. and research. And once you have validated that the analogy works, well, then you can go off and use it all the time as you're teaching an audience. But sometimes in church, we think that speaking or teaching in church is like doing your testimony. I just stand up and, and talk. I do it, yeah. Well, Jesus did say, I will give you the thoughts in the very moment you need it. Right, but the other, if you read the scriptures, it says you have to be prepared in advance. So to get the full effect of analogy and metaphor, you have to work at it and be prepared in advance. Do I know what the principles I'm supposed to be teaching? Is it simple? Does it make sense? And is it relevant to the audiences that I'm speaking to, yeah. relatable to them? Well, one of the ones that we used to use all the time on our mission when we were talking about our spirits and our bodies was the hand in the glove. Right. Okay. So help us. Is this a good analogy? Is it a bad analogy? What makes it good or bad? So when I was a missionary, I used the same analogy and I loved it. And I think it worked very well. Then I went to grad school in religious <laughs> studies and we did really intense study about what's the difference between the mind, the soul, and the spirit. I'm like, what? There's like three things instead of two. Oh, I'm like wearing two different types of gloves and my hands in there. It's like it became kind of confusing for me. And I realized that that metaphor of hand in the glove didn't work well for deeper conversations about the mind-body duality, which doesn't really exist because the mind and body are all together. But these three things, the spirit, the mind, the body. So it really depends, again, on our audience. And for most listeners, that may work. But if they are more sophisticated, not to be careful about that, because I don't really like the idea that we have intellectuals and non-intellectuals. Everybody has brains. Right. And to say that somebody is an intellectual and somebody else isn't, it's like, wait, you're trying to tell me that you use your brain and that other person doesn't use their brain? I mean, sometimes we all think other people aren't using their brains. but <laughs> Especially while driving. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm a good driver, but everybody else is a bad driver. That's right. Plenty of research to prove that I'm actually like everybody else. Eighty percent, 85% of people think they're awesome drivers, and they think 90% of the other drivers are bad. Exactly. So, again, you have to think about the audience. Does this, if they've never really thought through the concept before, does this help them get closer to the truth of the matter? And then if they have gone along further in their understanding of the gospel, you might need to think of a better metaphor. There might be a better metaphor out there. So maybe for kids— that, that's okay, because they or, understand a glove. They understand their hand. Right. And they understand the movement behind that analogy. But right. when you get beyond that, it becomes not empty, but problematic. Right. In fact, a good teacher will let their audience know at some point that the analogy isn't perfect. And as people grow in their understanding, help them to see Here's what we learned from this analogy, but here's where it doesn't work. And when people are ready for nuance, they welcome the excitement of having their mind expanded by new ideas. So 
I actually, uh, there's another concept we teach in education. It's called uh, scaffolding and elaboration. Okay. That you start with structure, again, what people know, and something that's concrete. And over time, as people get more and more comfortable with a concept or idea, you start removing the scaffolding where they can hold on to something on their own without needing all the extra support. And you elaborate upon a concept and add complexity to it. So sometimes in our lives, we start with metaphors or analogies that are simple, and we're taught them long enough that when we get more life experience, but we're still holding on to very simple analogies, we start to find conflict like this analogy doesn't completely fit. Like my situation when I went to grad school, like I can't believe in the hand and the glove metaphor anymore because it doesn't fit all these other understandings that I now have about the nuance of what a brain is and what a mind is and what a spirit is and what a soul is. But when I teach my 14-year-olds in Sunday school, I'm not likely to bring in mind, body, spirit, soul, brain, because I got 30 minutes with these kids. They need to fill the spirit and have something concrete they can go apply to their lives. Now, if they were 25-year-olds in a philosophy class with me, man, and we had two hours, we'd totally have at it. Yeah. And we probably would talk about the problem of the metaphor with the hand on the glove. And we would use that as a foil against which we could develop new knowledge about how to better understand. So it's really about where the audience is at. How important is the fundamental understanding of the principle that you're trying to teach? Because a metaphor or an analogy based on a false concept of something can't stand either. At least the spirit probably won't attest to it. So you say that you have to have, you can't just throw these things out there. So how much expertise does someone need to have with a particular principle before they start talking in analogy and metaphor? Yeah. I believe that God is accommodating enough, you know, milk before meat. And I have to be careful here because we sometimes spend so much time talking about claiming we're talking about milk when there's actually plenty of meat we can consume as sure. well. You know, that I think God is okay. Let's take this analogy of the hand and the glove that for someone who doesn't understand how the spirit works with the body, it's actually probably an okay metaphor that somebody can feel peace about or at least enlightenment and that God is will allow us to progress from stage to stage because if somebody doesn't yet have the ability to see lots of different facets and you come up with an analogy or a metaphor that represents all multifaceted complexity, it'll just fly right over their heads and therefore they actually don't have the structure to even get to a point where they can understand a truer metaphor. Well, another one that we use a lot in mission field when talking about like the apostasy. I don't know if you use this one oh, too, yeah. but well, the, the cups. cups. I, yeah. I was already guessing it. <laughs> the cups right. that you stack on top of each other. Right. And if you pull one out, the whole thing comes crumbling down. Right. Again, is this a good metaphor? Is this a bad metaphor? So again, it's about the audience. As a basic teaching technique, it gets the point across. And part of the challenge is that we often in the church don't go beyond basic teaching. Sometimes it's because we're in large crowds. Take Sunday school. You're maybe teaching 50 people, and we don't always know where people are at. And so it's usually safer to make things simpler. And what we're trying to get at here is that sometimes simpler hides or misrepresents the fullness of truth. Okay. Right? So this metaphor that we've all taught with, you know, the, the apostasy, if I'm trying to not 
be over the heads of half the members of my Sunday school, I might use that and may end up misteaching people, like teaching them improperly because I didn't give a better metaphor. So sometimes the challenge is where people are at. If you're in a, a small group setting where you know people, you know their heart and their mind, you know what they've been through. Yeah. So frankly, this is a real challenge. I work at the university. Faculty struggle with this regularly because they want students to be able to get into the depth of a discipline. And if you've been to college, you understand that you have your 100-level classes, then your 200-level classes. And the more you get into something, the more exciting a topic can be because you understand it better. Well, there's a reason we don't teach 400-level concepts in the 101 class. It's because there's not enough mental structure in place. They haven't had enough metaphors and analogies and so what I would hope is that teachers would not get stuck in teaching the simple metaphors, but lead the learners along and be open and honest and say, okay, we, we started with this analogy about the, the restoration or excuse me, the, the apostasy with all these cups falling. Well, let's actually talk about why that analogy isn't really fully correct. And that's a really interesting teaching technique. You want to get people's attention, get them to start thinking about something that they know that may actually not be what they think it is. Okay. It draws interest, like, oh, it's not fully correct. Tell me more. Well, because we know these things about the apostasy, and so maybe this analogy works better. And it's funny you bring these up because I realize that in my own life, I haven't developed a repertoire of, of increased complex metaphors. Okay. Even for things like the apostasy. I'm sitting here right now thinking, you know what? I would love to have a library of metaphors that I would know how to draw upon depending on the audience I'm working with because... I know for 10-year-olds, I'm going to use the cup analogy. And they'll get that. But what am I going to do for my, my adult Sunday school class? Some people might even be felt like they've been talked down to. Like, this is overly simplistic with cups and like it might right. as well have been a crayon drawing. Right. And you're kind of insulting my intelligence because so this is the only way I'll get it. Right. So it's interesting you asking these questions right now. I understand the principles of analogy, but I'm realizing personally there's a deep need to share more as a community what analogies and metaphors work best yeah. for different principles with different audiences. And I'm kind of brainstorming here. I know that's not really the purpose of our <laughs> that's podcast. Right. It would be really it. great to have like an online community with a database of like, let's take this principle of apostasy and here's like 20 different metaphors to talk about it. And here's... How does this work and how does it not work? Right. What are the pros and cons of these metaphors and which kind of audiences work best? And man, I would love I like that. it. Yeah. We're on it. We're on it right now. Yeah, we'll make it happen. <laughs> so with this being said, we've got so much content here that we can we can say, look, we need to take more time on these, right? We need to really look through and not just by default use these metaphors because it may or may not be what's good for this person that we're teaching. Right. And culturally, there's different things that I know when I was in the South, you could use different metaphors than you could in Michigan. And... I know in, in England or Chile or all these different places, you're going to have different references that will make more sense than others, depending on the culture of the person you're talking to. Right. So what are some of those cues maybe? Are there ways that we can say, look to this, look to that, and as signs of what makes for a good metaphor for the culture you're in? Yeah. So again, the principles are simple, relevant, and relatable. So whatever culture you're in, you want to look at the obvious signs of culture. Now, when you're in the culture, 
the obvious signs aren't obvious. It's like, if I tell you, I want you to think about your breathing, it's like within about 20 minutes, you're not going to be thinking about it because it's just, it's, it's just automatic. It. And, you know, being in our American society today, there's all sorts of things about our culture that we just take for granted. And we don't look at it from the eyes of a foreigner. Like, what are they going to notice? So sometimes talking to people who are new to your culture, like, what do you see about our culture? And then finding metaphors around those really obvious things that people are living but don't see. But again, when you're living in a foreign culture, missionaries do this all the time, you're going to see things that to you are obvious, like, man, why are they doing that? <laughs> yeah. Okay? You might find a way to do metaphors around that. You always want to make sure it's appropriate. You don't want to you're talk down to people or stereotype. You don't want to offend people or make jokes about it because uh, – People are part, part of their cultures, and it's who their identity is. You don't want to tell them their identity is wrong. Right. I mean, it's who they are. You know, they're God's child. But just being observing. I teach innovation and design thinking classes at the university. And one of the core principles of being a great innovator is being a good observer. And there are basic things you can do. It's looking around, and when you're anywhere, taking just a few moments, like you're on the bus and you see something, instead of just having it consuming that experience, asking yourself, why is it like that? And asking that question like five times about one thing. Or you're walking somewhere and you see a group of people talking. You might say, I wonder why they're talking. Why are they talking there at this time of day? Or why are they dressed the way they are? I mean, most of us don't think that. When I walk around campus, I don't think, I wonder why those students are dressed the way they are. Yeah. Like, why do people wear jeans? Well, because they want to be dressed, right? They want to wear clothes. But if you start observing and asking why, like, why are those buildings there? Why do we say hello to people the way we do? Just asking why more, being more conscious of all the inputs that are going on suddenly becomes a treasure trove of opportunity to tell stories. Most of us just don't take the time to observe. And the reason is we are bombarded with billions of inputs into our system every day. In fact, our brain is designed to forget most of what we experience because our brain doesn't have the capacity to deal with everything we experience. Got to file it away. Prioritize. Well, you got to file away only certain things. Yeah. You actually have to filter out 99% of the stuff and then the 1% that does really somehow get into the system, it's got to get filed away. So I would say being a really good observer. And you look at the story of Jesus, Jesus was a very good observer. He took the very common elements of society that all these people lived but didn't really think about until he brought it up with analogy when he's trying to teach a principle. How often did he relate the kingdom of God to something in their in their lives? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. We could look at his stories and say, well, here's how the kingdom of God is not like a mustard seed, right? And Jesus, if he was here, here today, say, yeah, you know, a mustard seed is not the perfect end-all analogy for every moment to try to talk about the kingdom of God, which is why I used 15 different analogies to talk about the kingdom of God for different audiences. Right. And we should be doing the same. He talked to fishermen about fishing. Right. He talked to, so recognize our audience is a really important part. And as far as letting these things, you say, let's build a repertoire. There's also a danger of relying too heavily upon the ones we've used in the past that have worked because it doesn't mean it's going to work for the person that we're talking to next. So be open, right? Be open to where the Spirit might take you in, in talking with these people. You, you've you identified it. It takes a lot of work to be a good teacher. It just takes a lot of work. Yeah. If it was easy, then we would have a better world. 
because as learners, we all want to learn a lot. And how many of us have been in a situation where we wish the teacher was better at what they were doing? Yeah. And look, I know a lot of really highly qualified teachers. It's just, it's an enormous amount of effort. Yeah. And, but I have to be careful here at the same time, even though it takes effort, if in your daily life, you realize that you're just practicing being more like God, that that is effort. That as you are working with people and talking about the gospel, you get better every time. So I don't want to oversell the idea that it takes effort. I would actually say it's really exciting that every day we get the chance in all of our conversations to be teachers. Being a person, you're always trying to communicate and convince others about something. That's being a teacher. Yeah. And we're using analogies and metaphors all the time, whether it's about the gospel or anything. It's just what we do. And so being conscious of that, like, oh, man, every day I'm trying to influence people to see the world in a new light or to see new ideas, or I want to tell this funny joke and get people to laugh. Well, that's a form of teaching and convincing, right? What you're trying to elicit is laughter. And if you just realize that you're practicing every day, you can get better if you're thoughtful about it. Yeah. So I don't want people to feel like, well, I don't want to put all that effort in. It's like, just live life. Just live life and be aware that every day you're getting better if you're being thoughtful about it. Yeah, be open to the idea that a metaphor or an analogy can present itself in just living, just being around other people. Yeah. So you have some books coming out that we want to plug. It's a little early, but there's some things to look out on the horizon. So you've got a book coming out with David Ridges. Yeah, David Ridges and I are working on a book. Uh, he's the author who's done uh, The Scriptures Made Easier, and Cedar Fort has asked us to do a book about Jesus as teacher and us as learners. So we hope it will come out in time for the New Testament school year, Sunday school year, that is, uh, 2019. So hopefully by the end of 2018 it will be available. Um, and that covers a lot of what we're talking about too. Yeah, it's funny that we were having this conversation here because these are the things that he and I have been talking about is how do we help people learn to be better learners from what they saw from the life of Jesus. Uh, another book that comes out later this summer was with Brad Wilcox and my wife, Lisa Halverson. It's an edited book called Learning for Eternity. Mm. And we spent a lot of time talking about teachers and teaching. More important is to talk about learners and learning. You cannot have a teacher without learners, but you can, always, you can have a learner without a teacher. And we put most of our resources in our society into teachers and teaching and so we edited this book around how do we empower learners to be better learners? We've all been in situations where we felt our ability to learn outstripped the capacity of the teacher to teach. Yeah, our book is, hope, is hoping to add to the conversation that if we're all better learners, what a better world it would be. Yeah, excellent. So we'll make sure to put something out there on our website when those books come out, and we'll try and see what we can do to make those more available to our listeners as well. If we are to look at analogy again, there's three things, and we're going to drum this home. It's simple, mm -hmm. it's relatable, and relevant. Relevant. And as we think of those three things and making, I would even add that make them principle-centered. Yeah, actually, that should be the first thing. So the list should be principle-centered or centered on principles of truth, mm -hmm. simple, relatable, relevant. And the second one, the simple one, is can be modified over time because sure. you need more complexity as people grow in their understanding. So those principles we're talking about, principle-based, simple, relevant, relatable, 
is for initial entry into a topic. Yeah. It gets more, the simple goes away after a while. Yeah. And that's okay. But typically missionaries are at the point where they're needing to start with simple and then they can build from there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Taylor, for coming in and talking about this stuff. It's it's really a, a critical part of being a good teacher and a good learner to understand these principles of analogy and metaphor and how they apply to us. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Wrapped up in the quiet light We could sail away to Tobago Fly across the Gulf of Mexico Make sure to tune in next week for part two of our interview with Taylor Halverson. You won't want to miss it. Also, check out the posting for the podcast at ldsmissioncast.com where we'll have links to Taylor's articles that he'll talk about. And he's got more next week than he did this week. But make sure to go to ldsmissioncast.com for this episode and check that out. Now it's time for Sean Rapier and our Latter-day Lives segment where he interviews news reporter Mike Anderson. We could get a job on the moon. Hey, it's Sean Rapier with the Latter-day Lives podcast, and this week my guest is a reporter for the NBC affiliate in Utah for KSL News, Mike Anderson. Mike, welcome to LDS Mission Cast. Thanks for having me here. So, Mike, uh, so often when missionaries talk, there are certain people that they'll never forget from their mission. First of all, where did you serve your mission? So, my mission was London South. The London South Mission, yeah. yeah. And was there... Uh, maybe uh, an investigator or someone you met that, that you'll never forget? Yeah. So when I was in Dover, uh, it was a pretty big area. My companion and I decided to pick out, uh, I think it was Folkestone was the, was the town. Gosh, now I'm, th- I'm, I'm digging here. But uh, it was an area that wasn't proselyted a lot because it wasn't close to the you know the chapel. It was a little bit far away. It was a very big area. So we went out there and we met this family, the Nichols family. It was just uh, an elderly British lady mm. and her adult daughter, and she let us in because she remembered uh, when she was younger of just hanging out with Mormon missionaries because <laughs> her family would let them in because they were fun to hang out with. That's great. And they would talk about the Osmonds and stuff like that. <laughs> and she had no interest in joining the church, but she said, you can come visit. And so we did several times. And we just hang out and talk. And as a missionary, sometimes during those times, you think, is this being productive or are we just wasting time? Sure. Right? And so one day when we're leaving, her daughter, Daniela, uh, whispered in my ear, she said, I want to become a Mormon. How old was her daughter? Um, she was probably about 21, something like yeah. that. So Adult daughter. Yeah. Whispers in your ear, I want to become a Mormon. Yeah. Was this something you expected? I didn't. We, you know... Yeah. We just thought it's, you know, we'll give this a shot. We'll visit them. But we didn't really expect a whole lot. Wow. Um, and she, so she took the discussions and um, and she was very strong. I mean, she made an effort to get to church. She would um, get on her bicycle, ride to the train station, take a, I think it was about a 30 to 45 minute train ride and then ride the bicycle again to get to the chapel. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Chapels in, in those areas are not... Nearby like they are No, here. it's not Utah. <laughs> and so she ended up just, that was it. She got baptized and yeah. became an active member. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. I have to walk three minutes to get to our chapel, and there are Sunday mornings. I mean, literally, it's two houses up is our chapel, and yeah. there are Sunday mornings where I have to drag myself <laughs> to it. I can't imagine riding a bike and then taking a 45-minute train. 
So what did you learn about uh, testimonies and about missionary work from that experience? Well, I've always been like a a by the book, by the rules kind of guy. And uh, you know, you got to get in, got to get in there, teach discussions, got to do what the handbook says. But from that, I learned that um, it's important to get to know people, mm. to uh, it, you know, those interpersonal kind of communications we have. That's that's important, and to to just uh, spend time with people and show that you care. And sometimes that's bigger than just saying, "Hey, do you want to hear a discussion?" <laughs> Mike, that's a fantastic story. We appreciate you sharing it. Mike can be seen almost every single night on the NBC News in Utah and KSL. He can be followed on social media. It's Mike Anderson, uh, but instead of an O, it's a zero. That's on Twitter and on Facebook. And Mike, thanks so much for joining us and sharing this experience. Thank you. I like Mondays with you here beside the river in the winter holding hands And you're talking about your day, all the roadmaps, the distractions in your head We will put a link to the full interview with Sean and Mike Anderson over at the Latter-day Lives podcast We'll put a link for that for this episode at LDSMissionCast.com. Thank you guys for tuning in this week to the LDS Mission Cast. Again, please tune in next week for part two with BYU's teaching and learning consultant, Taylor Halverson. Again, he shares his approach to gospel teaching by demonstrating how talking is not teaching and how we can become learning designers as opposed to preachers giving lectures on the gospel. It's really amazing stuff. Please, please, Please take a moment to let us know how we're doing. Send us an email at contact at ldsmissioncast.com or go to our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. Those are all at LDS Mission Cast. We post regular updates on missionary news from around the world. And don't forget our original and funny Monday morning missionary memes. Last week we had our Joker from Batman meme. This week, a little sneak peek, we have a Star Wars Episode 3 meme. So you might want to check that out. Stay linked and connected to those social media outlets to get that. But thanks for listening, and we hope to have you next week for another episode of the LDS Mission Cast. Give me Fridays or any weekday There's always a part that I like It's the part where we're together Whether rain, whether frost, whether fire You can read to me King James And I'll read to you a love song Or maybe sing it one if you like. Cause it's you, dear, that I need here every day, every night, for all time. And even longer than forever. Give me you, cause it's you that I like.